Hi, everybody. Welcome to Soap Notes. This is Jay Labine. I'm the Chief Medical Officer of NABA Health. And I am so pleased and honored to have with me today, Alice Bonner. She's in the adjunct faculty at Johns Hopkins University School of Nursing. She is also a senior advisor on aging with the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. She is a NABA Health Scientific Advisory Board member. And I'll tell you this, an expert on older adult aging in community. So we are really pleased. Welcome, Alice. Where are you zooming in from today? Um, so thanks for that introduction. Very kind introduction. Um, I, I don't think of myself at all as an expert, but I am an older adult, so I feel <laughs> totally qualified to talk about uh, any of these topics today. I am coming to you from uh, a very gray Boston, Massachusetts, but uh, very happy to be here with everybody who's joining from around the country and maybe around the world. Absolutely. And well, tell us a little bit about about you, about your um, why you got into healthcare and 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 studying older adults. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, it was one of these uh, serendipitous situations. I was in college and I had nobody in my family was a nurse and did anything in healthcare. <laughs> I didn't know anything yeah. about it. Ran out of money, needed a job, got a summer job in a nursing home as a mm -hmm. direct care worker, a nursing assistant. Okay. In those days, you didn't, this is back in the 70s, you did not need to be certified. I literally just walked into the job and I fell in love with the environment and I've worked in nursing homes for 30 years. So I, I kind of got into nursing because I really thought aging and aging services and programs and how we support one another as yeah. we get older was really important. So I, I, I am a nurse, I'm a nurse practitioner um, and practice for most of my professional career. In the last 10 years, I've done work in policy, both at the state and some state agency work and also at the federal government. Um, and I think our policy and regulatory work is really important in how mm -hmm. we support one another as we get older. So um, all good things, I guess. I'll tell you this, what fantastic experience of being a frontline worker as you started your career. It is absolutely yeah. invaluable. I think <laughs> everyone has to do it. The only other thing I did was I was yeah. a waitress when I was in high school. I was a waitress and I learned a lot from that job. Too. Oh yeah, customer, <laughs> customer experience, right? Right. That's yeah. right. But I, I would say it is important and that's one of the reasons why for everybody listening and some of you mm -hmm. are direct care workers, so thank you for yeah. that. Um, but it's really important to remember the incredible value that direct care workers bring and you know, across settings. So whether it's public yeah. health, community work, it's so important that people who spend the greatest number of hours every day with older people or anyone that they are caring for and caring with. Um, we have to remember that those individuals have a ton of value and they have lots to offer. So we always have to make sure they're visible and we hear their voice. Yeah, they are the face of healthcare, frankly, for, you know, especially for older adults. I mean, they interact with them and they want to interact with them. And so 100% agree. Well, let me ask you this. So um, the Kaiser Family Foundation, has predicted 2050, the number of 100-year-olds and 90-year-olds will quadruple in the United States. Mm -hmm. And we know right from uh, the literature that the vast, vast majority of older adults want to stay in their home, age in place. They don't want to go out of their community into an institution. 
So can you, from your perspective, what, what does age in place and age in community mean and, and what should we be thinking about? So, you know, sometimes we try to adjust the language a little bit and, you know, we used to say aging in place and sometimes yeah. we do because people understand generally that that means staying in your home, staying in your neighborhood, your community. But, you know, we don't want it to sound static, right? We don't yeah. want to seem like we're just aging in place, like we're marching <laughs> right. and not getting anywhere. Yeah. And so sometimes we say thriving in community or, um, you know, the, the well-being of older people, where they yeah. are, you know, meeting them where they are. So what it really is trying to say to us is, you know, let's listen really carefully to what people are telling us. And there's organizations like the Frameworks Institute and a, a bunch of other ones that are really mm -hmm. looking at language. But when we say aging in a community, mm -hmm. it's what you, what you suggested, you know, something like 90% of people will want to stay where they know the pharmacist, they know the person at yeah. the post office, they know the hairdresser, they know the faith-based <laughs> leader. So um, for all of those things, that's what we imagine people, especially like myself and many people on this call who are in policy roles or people who are leaders of Medicare Advantage plans or other health plans, right? All of us need to think together and collaborate around, well, what would that look like? You know, what would it really look like if we supported people to stay in their communities, you know, throughout their entire life? And there are examples from around the, the globe where people do this. Uh, some of us believe maybe better than we do in the US, Scandinavia, yeah. uh, the Netherlands, other places. Um, so we can learn from one another about that. But I, I think your point's well taken. Like, what would it look like? We can't close institutions like nursing homes and say, well, let's just have people go back to the community. Okay, if we want to do that, what do we need to put in the community to provide that network of support? Yeah, that infrastructure is so important. Um, I'll just tell you this. So I grew up in a small town in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. My grandfather lived till 92. Mm -hmm. And the very, very last thing he would have ever wanted was to come out of that small town and be placed into a home. I mean, they used to call it homes, right? Mm -hmm. And there was no way. I mean, he was a stubborn a stubborn guy and there was no way he would ever go he would just as soon you know live <laughs> to his last day in his home so that's how powerful I think the desire to build this and it it seems like we know this as a fact and now as you're saying Alice what do we need to do to be able to support people that could stay in their home would you be able to describe for us the ability of your program called Capable, mm -hmm. right? And what that program does, others like help older adults stay in their home. So uh, Capable stands for Community Aging mm -hmm. in Place, Advancing Better Living for Elders. So we're just gonna call it Capable. That's perfect. Uh, and, uh, it was, it, it's part of Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. It was developed about 10 or 12 years ago by Dr. Sarah Zanton, who's now the Dean of the School of Nursing and Dr. Laura Gitlin, who's a sociologist and 
um, started the ABLE program first. And so that was yeah. with a focus on occupational therapy. Um, mm -hmm. For those people on the phone, probably most of you know, you know, this occupational therapists really focus on function. And then mm -hmm. Dr. Zanton added the nursing component with a registered nurse. And registered mm -hmm. nurses have either two years or four years uh, or three years of education. And they really can focus on, you know, participant driven goal setting and action plans and focusing on what matters most to an older person. And yeah. very often what that what matters to me as I get older is the thing I used to be able to do that I can no longer do. So yeah. just an example from my own life, I, I'm a runner, you can tell I've got my running jacket on. Yeah. Um, and so when I was injured for a while and couldn't run, you know, that was a really big deal to me. And mm -hmm. it took me a a long time to get back to being able to do that again. But I bet lots of people on this call, I bet everybody on this call can think of one example from their life mm -hmm. that something changed in their life as they got older and it yeah. meant a lot to them. So the focus of capable is on function and the registered nurse, the occupational therapist and a handy worker um, go into the yeah. home. The occupational therapist evaluates the environment and the older person and then develops a work order that the handy worker can fill and do the home modification, whether it's okay. putting grab bars in the right place, repairing the stairs or the floor, railings, mm -hmm. et cetera, and often things like lighting, better lighting. Yeah. And then the registered nurse looks at things like pain and depression and medications is a very big one. And everybody uses motivational interviewing and the focus is really driven by the older person. And that's one of the big differences with this program. So it's, it's a time limited program. It's four to five months. And in those four to five months, the results have been improvements in self-confidence and self-efficacy of the older person better depressed, you know, improved depression scores and pain scores on our, our standard assessments. And the, you know, one of the effects also has been cost savings. So people yeah. don't spend as much on unnecessary hospitalizations and emergency department transfers. And to your point earlier in the program, you know, they don't go to the nursing home as early yeah. in the process. Doesn't mean they never go, but they go yeah. a lot later in the trajectory. So all of that adds up to cost savings to Medicare and Medicaid. And I know mm -hmm. some of the people listening are caring for people who we call dual eligibles, people yeah. on Medicare and Medicaid, or just low income older people. And, you know, for all these reasons, there's significant savings to the health system with a program like Capable. So, you know, also maybe you're part of an ACO, an accountable care organization or yeah. an so, you know, there's reasons why some of our finance, you know, colleagues that we all work with, um, you know, look at this and think, wow, we could redeploy the money we saved and take care of more older people or, you know, expand other yeah. services and programs. So, um, you know, we believe that the program will continue to grow. It started out with one site in Baltimore, Maryland. Amazing. One site. Have, yeah. Right. And we now have 44 in almost yeah. half the states. So mm -hmm. it, it really has grown quite a bit. And, you know, for those of you 
um, who are listening who are perhaps in the middle of applying for some of the ARPA money, the American Rescue Plan Act uh, funds, mm -hmm. or the FMAP money or other, you know, uh, ways to uh, bring more funding to your state or to your region. Um, those, you know, people have gotten capable approved by CMS okay. for, for some of that funding. So we encourage people to think about it, go to the website, check it out. And I'm happy to, to talk to anyone who's interested. Yeah. And, and, you know, like we talked about earlier, in one of my previous roles in Western Michigan, um, a capable, this is years ago, a capable program started and I thought it was fascinating. We actually had a member, so this was a Medicare Advantage member, where Capable went in and the member had dealt with chronic asthma for years. Capable found that there was a ton of home environment issues that were inciting his asthma. Of course. And they took care of it and he no longer needed to go to the emergency room. I was like, this is something, you know, I'm sure there's a ton of stories like that where they find things that clinically have been harming a person to that home and you find out what's inciting that uh, clinical issue. That's right. And we have lot, we do have lots of stories like that. We have testimonials yeah. and videos on the website, mm -hmm. but it reminded me of another, a very common situation where people say they can no longer go up and down the stairs. So they cannot yeah. get to the bedroom. They cannot get to their bathroom. Yeah. They, cannot, they cannot get to their closets. And, you know, by doing simple things like putting a chair or a bench at different, you know, every 10 feet in the hallway yeah. upstairs, People can stop and rest. And especially for individuals with either cardiac or respiratory issues, it turns out that simple, simple thing with just a piece of furniture they'd already have in the house, turns out got them to be able to go up and down the stairs. And the occupational therapist teaching them how to go up and down the stairs, stopping, yeah. stopping to rest and things like that. And, you know, doing things a, a little bit at a time, not trying to, you know, do it all at once. So I do think those things are important. And part of um, capable is the training of the occupational therapists and the nurses. So, yes. you know, it's Johns Hopkins training. It's been uh, put mm -hmm. together and studied by lots of, uh, lots of folks. Um, and it's all online. So people can do it at their leisure. Um, and that's part of what makes the program successful is a very standardized training program that people can take and adapt. So yeah, it was, it was, it was phenomenal. So one of the issues like you had mentioned that um, you uh, work with low income older adults. And we know that housing, right, is one of those social determinants of health, like if you can improve the home environment, and ensure that they have stable home environment, you are impacting the social determinants, right, that affect so much of a person's health and well-being. Uh, are there other things that Capable can do around either social determinants or even with uh, populations, like so non-white populations, the, um, the minority populations that may have some special needs that um, is capable, able to address some of those. Mm -hmm. So um, two great points, a, a little bit separate maybe, but I, mm -hmm. I do see that, you know, they can come together too. 
for mm -hmm. social determinants, in addition to all the housing things that you articulated really well, yeah. um, transportation is just an okay. enormous issue, in, in particularly in rural areas. So you grew up in Minnesota, and now you're mm -hmm. in Michigan. And That's right. you know, uh, we have colleagues in Wyoming and Montana that are trying to think through a lot of this work. So uh, transportation is big. You know, things like having someone to go to the grocery store with you and help you with the shopping. Um, and and other uh, you know aspects of your life you know help with finances things like that so okay. there are a lot of these aspects that are, are really critically important and capable is I wouldn't say it's not that it's unique but it's particularly focused on the social determinants of health along yeah. with the healthcare because what we have to do is bring together and integrate all of the social determinants, the home and community-based programs, the public health programs, and the health system. Yeah. Um, to your other point about low-income older people, it's not only people on Medicaid, because that's, okay. you know, you have to get to a certain very low point, you know, yeah. to be able to qualify for some of the Medicaid services. But, you know, there's a lot of people who are just above Medicaid and they yeah. are still very poor and can't afford things. And, you know, to your point about, uh, you know, minority populations mm -hmm. when we go into a city and again remember this started in baltimore maryland um that has a high population of african-american older adults um yeah. you know, th there were a lot of those individuals in the program and we see that in other places as well we have a mm -hmm. capable site in new york city we have sites okay. in texas california um, minnesota we have uh, three sites there so uh, you know, we do have areas of the country where we have to really stop and say to ourselves, could there be disparities? And we don't yeah. want to exacerbate those or perpetuate those in the capable program. So how can we focus on equity and how can yeah. we focus on every population that might possibly benefit? And I think one of the um, one of the key aspects of capable has been including renters in most markets. We have a few markets that only mm -hmm. work with homeowners, but we think the renters are really important because they tend to be low yeah. income uh, families and mm -hmm. they really can, you know, sometimes they just, you know, can't access other programs. So equity is really important. It's a big way that through public health and programs like Capable and others, we can, we yeah. can really address that. Yeah, I mean, that's a really great point about just being thoughtful about the population that you're serving um, and understanding the impact of their demographics. Right. And I would add to that, um, because you mentioned health plans before, you know, there's a lot of people who have a disability and live with a disability yeah. well past age 65. They're living five yeah. years with a disability, for example. So, you know, if you're a health plan and you're deciding on where to sort of, you know, address and, and put the focus of your, your dollars and your benefits yeah. and services, you know, think about people with disability. And a lot of those individuals, if they don't get the help that they need related mm -hmm. to function and functional capacity, you know, and it's not just fall prevention, although that's a yeah. big part of what we do. But, you know, again, if you're, if you're an insurance company or health plan out there, think about you know, how, how you could save on the total cost of care Absolutely. because you're paying for nursing home days, you're paying for hospitalizations, yeah. all those things. And you can redeploy those money, um, those monies. Uh, in the scientific papers that I referenced earlier, you know, the one that was done uh, by Sarah Ruiz, you know, looked at five different programs and with Capable, the savings was something like $20,000 over two years mm -hmm. per participant. 
remember. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's, you know, you don't need a math degree to be able that's to. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 Even a retired surgeon like me can understand that math. So, uh, okay. Let me ask you this What's next for Capable? Is there more um, expansion? Is there opportunities to work closer with health plans or states? Um, um, how is um, capable going to um, look at the future? So uh, we are, you know, we're driven by the vision, mission, and values of Sarah Zanton, who was the creator of this model. And, you know, her vision all along has been that in every one of the 50 states, there would be a capable program that eligible people could sign up for and could receive. So in order to get to that point from where we are today, um, (laughs) you know, part of that is up to people like myself on the team, you know, Mm -hmm. again, looking at strategic partnerships. A lot Mm -hmm. of the work that Sarah and I and the rest of our team uh, is doing does involve interacting with uh, Congress. So, Mm -hmm. you know, senators, uh, congressional folks, um, and doing presentations and engaging them in conversations about what would it take in your state to get a capable program up and running? How would you redeploy resources to be able to do that? We also, again, with this ARPA money, this American Rescue Act plan, uh, plan Act money, um, yes. you know, at least two states have um, gotten permission from CMS to move forward with Capable as part of that funding. And Fantastic. another state, um, state of Massachusetts, has it in their uh, 1915 waiver, so their frail mm-hmm. elder waiver. So we're watching to see how they, you know, implement it, which they're doing yeah. right now. Um, And then there's other states that are looking at, you know, money follows the person programs and other types of waivers, um, Mm -hmm. as well as other places within the state budget that they might have money. So could be in the Division on Aging or somewhere else, HHS. So, um, and we also get money from housing organizations. So we've done a lot of work with Habitat for Humanity, with Rebuilding Mm -hmm. Together and other housing entities. So again, I would say to folks who are listening on the phone today, you know, take a look at the website, reach out to me. We'd love to talk with you about, you know, if you already have partnerships, which I imagine many of you do around other programs that you're delivering, you know, if you've already got those relationships established, it makes it a lot easier to move forward with a capable startup because you've already got the presence in the community and the partnerships going. Well, Alice, you're a fantastic spokesperson for Capable. This has been absolutely fantastic. And really appreciate you taking time to have this dialogue with us. I can't thank you enough. And uh, it's been fantastic. So thank you so much. Well, thank you to everybody listening in because those are the people out at the point of care doing the really, really hard work. And we appreciate it very much and uh, would love to support all of the things that you're, you're all doing out there. So thanks for having me. Yeah, bye-bye.